0: Well, hello everyone and welcome, uh, once again to our study in first Peter. Today, uh, is our final lesson in this, uh, I- incredible, uh, letter, uh, from the apostle Peter. If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, um, we're in the, uh, chapter five and the last three verses 12, 13, and 14. The title of our lesson is a second chance. And, and let's read. It says this. And this is the the just the closing, of course, of the letter. Peter says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, as I said, Today we come to the end of our study. Next week, uh, the, the Bible study itself is, is will continue on. We'll just start next week with, a, with another book. And as you can see in those verses, uh, it's just a standard closing, right, uh, that we see in a lot of the New Testament epistles. So as I came to these last three verses, um, I didn't want to skip them because that's one of the things we do. We don't, we don't skip anything. We don't look at something and say, well, that's not very important. We, we cover it. But to be honest with you, as I looked at them and read them several times, I was struggling to find a a topic. But as I read it for probably the sixth or seventh time, this one statement kept catching my uh, attention. And that was the statement, and so does Mark, my son. So who is this Mark that uh, that Peter is, is referring to? Well, Mark, who is often called John, and sometimes he's called John Mark, he was a believer in the early church. He's mentioned several times throughout the New uh, Testament. Now, this in itself raises a question. You see, in the first century, John was the most common Hebrew name, and Mark was the most common Roman name. And it wasn't unusual in that day at all for someone to have a uh, a Hebrew name and also a Roman name. We saw that with the with Paul, who is called Saul, right? Sometimes he's called Saul, sometimes he's called uh, called Paul. So how do we know that the mark that Peter is referring to here, and this is the same mark that's referred to in other passages? Well. As it turns out, I mean, after all, this guy had two of the most common names in, in that day and time. So wouldn't it be a mistake just because somebody says Mark here and Mark there? Wouldn't it be a mistake to think, well, that's the same Mark? I mean, how do we, how would we know that if it's that common a name? Well, it turns out that the fact that this name was so common is exactly why we do assume That all the passages are referring to the same person. So let me explain what I mean by that. When you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, there are plenty of common names. Um, And whenever there are two people with the same name, the Bible goes out of its way, especially the New Testament, to make sure it distinguishes one person from the other. For example, in the in the in the Gospels, we can always tell that the Bible is referring to John the Baptist or John the uh, disciple or John the apostle. There were two disciples by the name of Judas, a very common name. One is always referred to as Judas Iscariot, and the other is always referred to as Judas, the son of James. We see this in Matthew 27 with the name Mary. Once again, Mary is an extremely common name in those times. So this is what it says, Matthew 27, 56. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and then Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and then the mother of James and John. And by the way, James and John were common names, so it says the sons of Zebedee. So in all three of these cases, when it refers to a person that has a very common name, it goes out of its way to make sure that we know as readers exactly which Mary, exactly which James, exactly which John that is talking about. But when Peter says, My son Mark, he makes no attempt at all to distinguish this from someone else with the same name. He clearly assumes the churches know exactly which Mark he is referring to. Church tradition also attests to the fact that in the first century church, there was a very well known individual. By the name of, of Mark. So it's not unreasonable for us to assume that unless the Bible says differently, that whenever it mentions a Mark in the New Testament, that it is referring to the same uh, Mark. So who is this person named Mark? Sometimes he's called Mark, sometimes he's called uh, the combination of, of John Mark. Well, his story begins in the book of Acts. And there's a story there where uh, uh, Herod has killed James and uh, the Jews were all happy about that. And so uh, Herod saw that they were pleased by it, so he goes and he arrests Peter. And he has every intention of putting uh, Peter on trial, sentencing him to death, and having him executed. So Peter is arrested, he's thrown in prison, and the night before his trial, an angel walks in while everybody's asleep. The shackles fall off of him. He walks out the cell. He walks out the gate of the prison and he walks to freedom. Now, Acts 12, the whole time he thinks he's dreaming. But when he gets outside, he finally realizes that he's not dreaming. It says this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. Now, evidently John Mark's mother was very wealthy. Uh, We know this for a few reasons. Number one, the house had a gate. Okay. Number two, the house was big enough for many Christians, not just a few, but it says many Christians were gathered there. And of course they had a a servant girl. And Peter, this seems to have been a very common thing because as soon as Peter got out of prison, he knew that's where Christians gathered. So this wasn't This had been going on for a period of time. So both the house itself and the household of Mary probably played a a very significant role in the Christian community there in Jerusalem during those early days. Now, many scholars believe that this was the start of a long-term relationship. By the way, Peter's writing this letter in the 60s of, of A.D., uh, this this uh, this early instance of him being imprisoned and going to John Mark's house probably happened thirty years earlier or so. So this has been a long relationship that Peter has had uh, with this young man named Mark. By the way, Mark will eventually write the Gospel of Mark, which was basically a, a recounting of Peter's um, experiences in Jesus's life and, and ministry. now, The next time we see Mark, he has made a life-changing decision. He decides to leave his home, leave his mother, leave his his city of Jerusalem where he's born and raised, and he joins Paul and Barnabas on their return trip from Jerusalem uh, to a city named Antioch. We see this in Acts 12, 24-25. It says, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned to Antioch, taking John Mark with them. So they get back to Antioch, and we don't know how long they're there, but after a period of time, the Spirit moves on the elders of the church there and to send out missionaries. We see this in Acts 13. It says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So in Acts 13, 4 and 5, it says this, So Barnabas and Paul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues, and they preached the word of God. And John Mark went with them as their uh, assistant. So a couple things about this trip. First of all, John Mark is a helper. He's an uh, assistant. Man, he's, he's the guy that gets the coffee, right? He's... He's the guy that makes sure they get their cloaks washed or whatever. He's he's not playing a a prominent role. This is all about uh, Paul and and Barnabas. He's just a, a helper, but the Bible mentions that he's there. The second thing we need to remember is this is a missionary journey. Okay, They're not going to establish churches. There are no churches where they're going. They are going into the lion's den of local synagogues and preaching the gospel. Okay, they're, they're going to people that don't want to hear it, that's going to hate them, that's going to persecute them. So this is not an easy uh, trip. Look at verse uh, Acts 13, 6-13, and we can see what happened. It says, Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos. And Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, and they landed at the port town of Persia. And there, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So they they go town to town, and they finally get to this place called Persia, and John Mark goes home. Later on, Paul will say he deserted them and left the work. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why. doesn't go into any details. It just gives us the facts, and all we know is that he left and went home. So, after a while, Paul and Barnabas finish up the trip, and they come back to Antioch. And some time goes by, and Paul decides, you know what? It's time to go back. I want to go back, and I want to visit the churches. I want to visit the believers and uh, make sure everything's going good and encourage them and edify them. So he decides to retrace his his steps. Now this leads to a breakup. Acts fifteen thirty six to fifty one. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed. He said, absolutely, let's do it. But he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now, this story has always fascinated me. It is just an incredible story, and Number one reason it fascinates me is the Bible actually includes it. You see, this here are two great men, two great leaders, Paul and Barnabas, uh, the first missionaries. I mean, just great men of the church. And this is the sort of thing that men normally gloss over. You know, when you write a biography of somebody, you, you tend to gloss over these kind of things. This was kind of an to be honest with you, it's an embarrassing event in the history of the church. And by the way, the language used here, this wasn't a simple disagreement. The Bible goes out of its way uh, to call it a a sharp disagreement or the contention became so sharp between them that they just could not uh, agree. So I want you to think about it. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he could have simply said the two men went on separate journeys. That's all he had to say. That wouldn't have been a lie. That would have been the absolute truth. He could have just left the unpleasant details out, but he didn't. You see, Luke is Paul's friend. And I'm sure he, you know, again, the natural inclination would be to not embarrass your friend. But the very fact that this is just openly displayed on the pages of the New Testament has always been evidence to me, among many things, that these words are inspired By the Holy Spirit. You see, Luke had no choice. He had to tell the truth. And that's one of the things that I I admire so much about the Bible. It never cleans up stuff like this. Our heroes are not perfect. They're just men. They're just women. Yes, they're gifted. Yes, they're called. Yes, they're strong in some ways, but they're not perfect. Many times they struggle with the same issues that you and I do. And many times they make the same mistakes. That you and I do. And the Bible never tries to clean it up. I don't care if it's Noah. I don't care if it's Abraham. I don't care if it's, uh, David. And I don't care if it's Paul and, and Barnabas and, and, and Peter. It just lays it all out there for us to see. Now, the second thing that you always wonder about is why such a sharp disagreement? And now again, we don't know because Luke just records the facts. But there are some clues that might help us figure this out. And I'll just give them to you. In Colossians 4.10, it says this. Paul's writing. He says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. Ah, Well, there's a clue right there. Barnabas and Mark are cousins. So this may have added to the tension. Barnabas may have been focusing on his loyalty to uh, family. But there's something else in Scripture that I think is probably more important, and that's something that points to the character of of Barnabas. Barnabas was known as an encourager. There's a a great Scripture in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4. It says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So Barnabas, that's not even his real name. His given name is Joseph. But he is such an encourager. It's so deep down inside of who he is that the other apostles nickname him or give him a new name and call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So that just shows you that was was who he was. You see, Barnabas was all about forgiveness. He was all about second chances. There's another great story in Acts chapter 9 that shows this. Saul, uh, we all know about Saul or Paul, right? He was uh, he was a, 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 an Orthodox Jew. He was he hated Christianity. He was uh, persecuting the church. He's, he was going into churches, pulling them out, throwing them in prison, doing what what other kind of things we don't even know. And then he gets saved, right? So when he gets saved, he decides to go to Jerusalem, Acts chapter nine. And when Saul arrives in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They thought it was a trick. They didn't think he had really become a believer. They thought that he was trying to just infiltrate. So they wouldn't have anything to do with him except one man. It says, Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly In the name of Jesus. All these people running from him. One guy. One guy that believes in forgiveness. One guy that believes in second chance. A man by the name of Barnabas. uh, Reaches out to him. And and gives him the right hand of, of fellowship. So you see. What I want you to see about Barnabas. Is that it would have been in his nature. To forgive Mark's failure. It would have been in his nature. His character. To give Mark a second chance. Now Paul. Paul was a little more rational. Paul was a little more logical. You know, Paul. If you go back and read about this guy, I, there's a word we talk about somebody sometimes. We just say he was an animal. And what I mean by that is, here's Paul. He gets saved, right? He's, he's out here persecuting these Christians on the road to Damascus. He's uh, he, he gets blinded by the light, right? And he, he ends up getting baptized, and he and his sight comes back first thing he does is he goes into the synagogue just walks in and starts preaching Jesus I mean he was just he's all about getting the job done he's a top a personality if there ever was one so see to him pioneering uh, pioneering missionary work requires dedication and resolve and endurance and all of those things so he would see mark as a risk to the mission he, he's not at this point he's not all about forgiveness. Now, Luke doesn't take sides. Luke doesn't present this one's right, this one's wrong. He just says this is the way it was. He just records the facts. So, what can we learn from that? What lessons can we learn from the breakup? And by the way, there's always lessons. When something is recorded in Scripture, it's there for a reason. It's it's not purposeless. God knows exactly what He's doing. And it turns out that that looking at this, there are so many great lessons uh, to be learned uh, from the experiences of all men and women in Scripture, but specifically here as well. There's a few things here. As far as we know, Paul and Barnabas kept the problem on a personal level. They decided it amongst themselves. They never involved the church at Antioch. They never got the elders involved. They never tried to get people on their side and make it this big political issue they just kept it on a personal level but at the same time they didn't take it personally they didn't take it personally years later paul would 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 uh in one of his letters would speak fondly uh, of Barnabas these guys had respect and love for one another um, they just had a disagreement and by the way it wasn't a degre- disagreement about doctrine it wasn't a disagreement about the bible it wasn't disagreement about spiritual issues it was just a it was just hey we got to take a trip who's the best person to take i want to take this guy no i think he will be a detriment It was just something like that but here's the other thing they did they saw the matter through to a resolution right they ended up saying okay well this is what we're going to do you take john mark and i'll take silas and they saw the matter through as far as we know, they're not acting out of self-interest or self-will. It had nothing to do with them. It was all about the, the mission, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, they didn't make it a right or wrong issue. It, there's nothing in there. Again, Luke didn't make it right or wrong. They didn't make it right or wrong. They were just each acting in accordance with their own gifts and their own calling. Uh, The separation was a a, a cooperative one, not a competitive one. It wasn't that, hey, I'm going to go get more uh, uh, followers than you or anything like that. It turns out that both John Paul, I'm sorry, both Paul and Barnabas ended up ministering to John Mark by what they did. Um, And time bears witness to that fact because what happened turned out for the good. You know, on one hand, I think, John Mark needed somebody to give him a second chance, but on the other hand, he also needed somebody to hold him to account. He needed both of those things, as most of us do, right? And he got that in the person of Barnabas and, of course, Paul. There's always going to be times when Christians can disagree and will disagree on matters of opinion. The important thing is that we keep focused on doing the will of Christ. And that's exactly what Barnabas and Paul did. Again, it wasn't over a doctrinal issue. It wasn't a personal issue. It was just a judgment call. And to their credit, they didn't let it distract them from spreading the gospel. And as I said earlier, it's also important to note... It didn't disrupt the uh, the love and respect these men had for one another. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul uh, affectionately mentions Barnabas as being worthy of continued monetary support. Now, here's a, another thing that just, when I, when I read this story, that just blows my mind, and that's the sovereignty of God. Paul comes to, to Barnabas with a proposal. He says, man, let's go back over the ground we've already been to. Let's go back and visit cities that we've already visited, right? Let's just, let's just go back through it. By the way, that was their first missionary campaign and they were just going to go back over the same way. So in reality, Paul's proposal wasn't a missionary journey. It was more about edification, not evangelism. They were just going to encourage churches that they had already started. So you have to kind of wonder if there hadn't been a disagreement. Would, would there even have been a second missionary journey at all by the Apostle Paul? We don't know, right? What I do know is Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that God causes everything, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You've got two gifted but flawed men, and they're unable to overcome an impasse. But God, even in the midst of that, God is working. He makes ways out of no ways he he uh he he makes he writes a straight line with with a with a crooked pen or he makes a a, a straight path with a with with crooked weights whatever right God can just take all this junk and he can turn it into good so as a result of this disagreement, even more work is accomplished for the Lord instead of just having one missionary journey now you've got twice the missionaries going on twice the number of journeys, reaching twice the number of, of people. Barnabas takes Mark. He goes back to churches. That's a much easier trip for Mark. It's not the difficult trip that he would have encountered the first time. And of course, Paul and Silas, they go north into Syria. They they go there. It's a, a much tougher journey, but they go and find churches there and edify and strengthen them. Listen, that's God. That's God. You meant it for evil, Jacob said, but God meant it for good. These flawed men are fussing over a, a decision, and God comes in and just turns it into good. That's what God does. Let's turn back for just a minute to John and Mark. Now, with the separation of Paul and Barnabas, Mark, that's it. That's the last you hear of him. Uh, going off to the, uh, to the Isle of Cyprus with Barnabas, that's the last you hear of him in the book of Acts. But he does appear a few more times in the New Testament. And and what is revealed to us shows us that that was not the end of the story with Mark and Paul. Years later, we find him once again with Paul. In Philemon uh, 24, it says this. Paul is writing, and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So here he is years later, and he's back with Paul. And Paul calls him a fellow worker. So at this point, he has reconciled with Paul, and he's working with him again. Now, there's one other scripture that tells us even more about uh, John Mark. And this is in the letter that Paul sends to Timothy. So, so Timothy is in a, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is in a Roman prison. And he's writing to Timothy to encourage him and, and edify him and, and help him. And he writes this in 2 Timothy 4. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Now, what has happened with John Mark down throughout the years, we don't know. We're not told. But something has changed. Mark has become, he's matured, he's become a faithful servant of the Lord. Something has changed with him. Paul now considers him a valuable companion. The useless has now become useful. The faithless has now become faithful. Now, that's all we know from the Bible. Tradition goes on to tell us that Mark was the first person to establish a Christian church in Africa, and he actually became the first bishop of the church of Alexandria. And of course, we know that he wrote the gospel of, of Mark. Now, The title of my lesson this morning is A Second Chance. Let's go back for a moment to the split between Paul and and Barnabas. Now again, we don't know who was right. We don't know who was wrong. Um, And the Bible doesn't take sides or anything like that. But for Mark, we obviously know it worked out for his good. And as I said earlier, this is the sovereignty of God in action. Even with our flaws and all of our failures and all of our mistakes, he's still working. He's taken even even seemingly bad things and he's working them for our good as he did with John Mark. But let's don't forget the responsibility of man in this equation. You see, it takes two to reconcile. And for Mark to come to a point where he was considered valuable, Paul had to forgive him for his past mistakes, and Paul had to offer him a second chance. See, this this once again points to the character of this man Paul. If you open the, the book of the, the letters of the New Testament that he wrote, which is the majority of them, you, you see statements like this from Paul forgive one another, care for one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, look to the interest of one another encourage one another. See, here's the thing about Paul. He practiced what he preached. He didn't just say those things. He walked those things out. You see, I often say that every experience in our life matters. And and Paul may have grown through that experience. It'd be so interesting one day to talk to him and say, you know, what did you learn uh, back, back in that experience? But Whatever happened in that experience, I'm sure he, he grew through it because we grow through our experiences. You see, he, he seems to have learned a lesson, by the way, because he tells us don't lay hands on a person too quickly. Don't, don't give someone responsibility too quickly that they're not ready for. He may have well have learned that from the uh, experience with, with Mark. But Paul may have also learned the need to be more sensitive. To be more tender toward those who are not as thick-skinned as as he was, you know. Later on, Paul will will, will meet this young man named Timothy, and who will become a, a a a pastor, who will become a leader in the church. And Timothy was young, and he had a. It seems like he had a lot of fears, and he had a lot of hesitancy, and he wasn't sure what to do. and And Paul writes to him in two letters, First and Second Timothy. And if you read them, you cannot help but see the tenderness. The, the compassion, the gentleness that Paul is using when he writes to Timothy that he didn't experience or didn't uh, show in his original dealings with Mark. So Paul has grown over the years. And by the way, wouldn't we expect that? Shouldn't we all be growing over the years? See, I'm inclined to think that that experience with Mark was a significant part of Paul's education. At some point, he had to forgive the failures of John Mark. He had to give him a second chance, and that's exactly what he did. Now listen, we can all sympathize with John Mark. We've all found ourselves in the same situation as he has. We've all failed the Lord. We've all failed brothers and sisters. We've all failed our family. We've we've all failed from time to time. Second Timothy 2:13 says this, "If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself." You see, but even in our weakness, even in our failures, God, and, and by the way, often because of our weakness, God can do great things. But you see, God uses people, which mean, He means He uses one person to give another person a second chance. In Mark's case, he first used Barnabas. And later, he would use Paul and, of course, used Peter. So here's my question. Can he use you? Are you willing to forgive someone's past failures? Are you willing to offer someone in your life a second chance? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for second chances. Thank you, first of all, for the second chance that you gave me and those that are listening to me. You've given us all a second chance. And God, just as you ask us to forgive those, just as we are forgiven by you, I believe you want us to be caring and and compassionate and tender and patient with those who fail us, just as you are with those who failed you. God, if there's someone out there today and there's someone in their life that needs a second chance, I pray right now that you just bring that person to their remembrance. God, help us to look like you and act like you and walk like you and talk like you. And to do that means giving second chances. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.